Hello, my friends, and welcome to The Bible in Order, where we are chronologically going through the entire Bible in one year. Today's reading for September 20th is the book of Haggai, chapters 1 and 2. Have you ever felt like you were striving? You were working so hard and you were barely getting by or maybe not getting by at all. In the second year of King Darius, Haggai begins, the word of Yahweh came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, who was the governor of Judah. He's also the grandson of Jehoiachin, which we'll get back to that in a moment. And to Joshua, the high priest, Yahweh of armies says, these people say the time has not come for the house of Yahweh to be rebuilt. But it's been 17 years since the decree was issued by Cyrus to begin building. Of course, there was lots of opposition, and then there was a decree from Artaxerxes that we read yesterday in Ezra that stopped the work. And so a lot of people who were given a life mission to accomplish a work by God had that mission annulled by the enemy. And I wonder if they felt as though they didn't have a purpose while they were waiting, trying to figure out what to do when they couldn't do the thing God had called them to do. Have you ever been in a 17-year season of drought? God says, think carefully about your ways. You've planted much but harvested little. You eat but never have enough. You drink but never have enough. You put on clothes but you never have enough to get warm. They were discouraged by the lack of results and by the fact that their mission was thwarted and they were commanded to stop. After a while, I wonder if they forgot about their purpose. And maybe the seasons were changing. This is the second year of Darius. The last king, Artaxerxes, was no longer king. He was the one who had told them to stop. And now we're in the second year of a new administration. But they're still not doing what they had originally been told to do. And the problem was, at least from their own perspective, that they could not get ahead because whatever they strive, whatever they were trying to do, wouldn't succeed. And what they failed to realize that was that God was against them because their priorities were off. God stands in the way of the success of his people when their priorities are off. The reason he does that is to get us to focus, to get us to ask him. He's trying to get us to engage with him. He knows that we are wired in such a way that we only remember to pray. God knows that we are wired in such a way that our first instinct to pray only ever happens when life is really not going our way. As time goes by in the kingdom and we become more like him, we remember to pray at the good times and rejoice with him when he blesses us. But when we're not walking with him, when we're not walking in perfect companionship with our maker and things don't go our way 
we remember very quickly to pray, or at least we should. A lot of times we don't get an answer to our prayer because we dismiss the answer. It's not that he didn't give us an answer. It's that we didn't hear it because it's outside of the realm of what we want to hear. My friends, if you have a hardship going on in your life and you've asked for prayer from several different people in your faith circle, and one of them is telling you to do something absolutely crazy outside of the realm of what you think God would tell you to do, give it careful consideration. Don't give a lot of time and consideration to all of the people who tell you what you want to hear. Oh, just hang in there. It'll get better. Oh, I'm sorry that things are not going your way. Just keep praying. God will bless you. Don't grow weary in doing good. Well, maybe you're not doing the good that God is calling you to do. God says in verse 9, Because my house still lies in ruins while each of you is busy with your own house. Their heart position resulted in God being opposed to everything that they tried to do. Many people want to build a business and achieve success the way the world views success by creating monetary gain or material wealth or growing a business or or whatever it is, having lots of friends. We want to be successful in the world and then apply that success to the kingdom. And God is saying that we're doing it backward. Matthew 6.33, Jesus said, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then all of these other things that you need will be added unto you. We want to seek the world and the wealth and from that fund the kingdom and say, oh God, you know, once I make a million dollars, I'll give you 10%. God's saying, give me everything that you have, put the kingdom first, and then when I start to give you millions, you'll be able to fund a lot more with it, but at least then I'll know that I can trust you. In verse 12, we see that Zerubbabel, the high priest and Joshua and the entire remnant of the people obeyed Yahweh when they heard this word spoken through Haggai because they knew that Yahweh had sent him and so the people feared Yahweh. That is the beginning of wisdom. We know the fear of Yahweh is the beginning of wisdom. And so we see the tables turn here in chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. And then Haggai, when they saw that God was feared by the people, he speaks the word of the Lord through him. And then in verse 13, Haggai declares Yahweh's message, I am with you. When God recognizes that our priorities are in the right place, we've repented from our dead works and we are ready to give him everything, he then says, I am with you. You don't need to be afraid. And in the very next verse, Yahweh roused the spirit of Zerubbabel, the governor, and he roused the spirit of the high priest Joshua and the spirit of all of the remnant of the people and they began to work on the house of Yahweh, Yahweh of armies, their God. 
chapter 2 comes with the encouragement of God and a promise to go along with it. You'll remember when we read before in Ezra how the older men and the people who had seen the original temple, Solomon's temple, who were still alive and remembered that physical structure when they saw the foundation of this new temple that was being constructed under the leadership of Ezra and Nehemiah and here Haggai and Zerubbabel, many of the people cried. And it doesn't tell us explicitly why they cried and why they wept and they were moaning. But we see that referenced here in verse 3 of chapter 2. Who was left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Doesn't it seem to you like nothing by comparison? This new work that God was doing doesn't seem like much to the people who saw him work before. And we have to be careful, friends, because a lot of times when God is doing a new thing, it might not look like much. In verse 4, God continues, Even so, be strong, Zerubbabel. Work, he says, for I am with you. Don't be afraid, down in verse 5. For the for Yahweh, I almost said the Lord, for Yahweh of armies says this, Once more in a little while I am going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all the nations so that the treasures of all the nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory. Silver and gold belong to me, declares Yahweh of armies. The final glory of this house will be greater than the first. And that's a beautiful promise, friends. When God is working, let's get in line with what he is doing let's not have our own expectations let's let god do his thing and partner with him jesus said he could only do what he saw the father doing haggai closes in this last section beginning in chapter 2 verse 20 with a promise to zerubbabel now it's interesting the word zerubbabel or the name means offspring of babylon could also be translated out of babylon course Babylon means confusion out of confusion or child of confusion what a name Zerubbabel was born in Babylon and now he's coming back to the land to rebuild the temple he had never been to the promised land before he'd never seen Jerusalem before and now here he is he'd never seen the original temple although he had heard about it and been told about it and he had a zeal for it and we're told he's the governor of Judah, what we're not told here, and we have to read the other books and genealogies, is that Zerubbabel was the son, the excuse me, the grandson of Jehoiachin. Jehoiachin was a wicked king, and Jehoiachin was actually cursed by God. In Jeremiah chapter 22, verses 24 through 26, God said, If you were a signet ring on my hand, I would throw you far from me. You are being cut off from the land. You will leave the land. You will die away from the land, and you'll never come back. God cursed Zerubbabel's grandfather because of his wickedness. But here in Haggai, God speaks to Haggai and says, Go to Zerubbabel. I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn I will overturn royal thrones and destroy the power of the Gentile kingdoms. I will overturn chariots and their riders. Horses and their riders will fall. 
on that day, in verse 23, declares Yahweh of armies, I will take you, Zerubbabel, my servant, and make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you. God, in his kindness, goes to the grandson of the one who was cursed, who was a descendant of King David, and reverses the curse because generational curses can be brought on us by our fathers and forefathers, our mothers and grandmothers, just as they were brought on the family line of Zerubbabel. However, when Zerubbabel got his priorities in order and he learned to seek God first and to do God's work first, When he repented of his sin, God blessed him and gave him a promise. And the next time in Scripture, in the New Testament, when Zerubbabel is mentioned again, he's mentioned in the lineage of the Messiah, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus Christ, the one we worship today. So the promise that was originally given to Abraham and then renewed to King David and went through his son Solomon all the way down the Davidic line, stops and is highlighted here on Zerubbabel and goes through him and his bloodline down to our Messiah whom we worship. God is with us and will bless us and will prosper us and will even bless our family after us when we walk with him in obedience. God bless you, my friends. Thank you for being on this journey with me. We'll see you tomorrow.